Hello, this is Dan Housing. You are listening with your ears to the real wrestling podcast housing of some sort. It's very nice, very evil Dan Housing is told. Listen or else be cursed. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Real Wrestling Podcast. I'm Ads. I'm the belt guy, Paul. I'm Rob. And today we have a very, very special guest with us today. Many of you may know him from ECW. Many, many of you may know him from the Attitude Era and WWECW. We've got uh, PJ Polacco, otherwise known as Just Incredible. How you doing, guys? Not bad, not bad. Not bad yeah, at all. good. But before we get into that, if you are new around here, please do like and subscribe. It does really help us out and it means a massive amount to us. Also, while you're here, do check out store.realwrestling.net where we've got everything from autographs to figures. And don't forget to check us out on Patreon where you'll get access to some of the cheapest wrestling content on the platform as well as uncut podcasts, extra video series, as well as entry into next season's Prediction League where you can win your own Real Wrestling Championship. There's no right or wrong way to support us, but just know we appreciate you being here now. So, first question we always ask around here is, who is your favourite wrestler of all time? Ah, wow. I'd have to say Shawn Michaels. Um, You know, Ric Flair was for a very long time, but uh, just the way Shawn... uh, wrestled in the ring the way he moved man the the, the way he kind of uh just you know raised the standard of what pro wrestling was as far as athleticism and on the heavyweight level you know uh, of course yeah. there's always been the cruiserweights but just on the main stage uh it has to be sean absolutely yeah. there's no dispute in sean it's yeah. hard to argue that yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean you look at 97 sean sean in 97 96 97 and he were just leagues above many other people like there's times where he was having to like pull it back a gear just so people could keep up with him keep up with him yeah absolutely and that that (laughs) that was an inspiration i mean i got i got the pleasure of traveling with him uh from when he won the belt from brett in 96 uh all the way till uh when i left um after wrestlemania 13 to go to uh uh, well, USWA for a minute, but then ECW, um, yeah. you know, it was, so I got to be around him and just how intense uh, he was and how serious he took it um, as well. So, I mean, he, he was just somebody that I always would have inspired, you know, inspired to be. I think a lot of us were, <laughs> you know. What, what's, what's Sean like as a guy to talk to? Is he, because I no, Sean was he's very humble and. Uh, Sean was, uh, Sean was a bit of a dick back then. Um, but not, not to his friends. That's for sure. I mean, it was, uh, it was a very competitive time in pro wrestling. Um, you know, and, uh, because back then too, um, guaranteed contracts weren't a thing yet, Mm. um, except for WCW and in the WWE, you really had to, uh, claw and scratch to get a top spot and um you know and that's really how it was it was just a very competitive thing and uh you know he could have been a bit of a, a bit of a jerk sometimes but uh you know we, I, we got along really well you know i was one of the only guys that he could travel with <laughs> <laughs> so moving on from that if you could have wrestled anyone past or present who would have been your your dream match uh rick flair um because i got to work with sean uh, in the ring, I got to work with a lot of those guys. I just, uh, even Rock, Austin, I just never worked with Hulk Hogan, which I would have loved to work with. Don't get me wrong, but my absolute, if I had to choose, it would have been uh, between Hulk and Rick. It would have been Rick, absolutely. Yeah. 
yeah, Rick was head and shoulders above most people in that time. Period. Yeah, yeah, it was just such Born an inspiration. Rick was the Rick was the technician, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah. and and just the way he he did business, the you know just way ahead of uh, the game with the way he dressed and the way he presented himself. I mean, he really did live his gimmick. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it uh, was just, uh, it was fascinating to watch. I, I loved, you know, he's part of the reason I got into the wrestling business, you know, uh, was just watching his matches in 89 with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and some of those classics, you know, uh, really, really awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, that sort of, uh, kind of our, our next question was sort of how you, how you discovered wrestling, how you sort of fell into it. So, um, yeah, tell us about that. Um, I was just, I was probably about 12 years old and, uh, you know, in, in America, uh, I live near New York, about an hour from New York. We get a lot of the WWF programming, uh, Sunday, Saturday mornings. Yeah. And uh, I was home, home from school and I'd uh, never really seen pro wrestling before. And, um, I got to see, uh, Hulk Hogan pin the iron cheek to become the WWF champion for the first time. And, uh, really the beginning of Hulkamania, you know, and, uh, I was, I was like, like many of us, I think I was just, you know, I was in at that moment. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. Uh, I just didn't think I was going to do it, but, um, you know, that's where my love affair kind of started with pro wrestling. Absolutely. It's what a much better introduction than what I got you. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did you, what did you get? Mine was, uh, my first ever show. My dad showed me when I was six and it was, uh, Royal Rumble 1995. Okay. And my first, the first match I ever saw was Jeff Jarrett versus Razor Ramon. Oh, okay. I was yeah. on that pay per view as Aldo. You were, you were. Yeah. And this, 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 this is why you was uh, Aldo Montoya at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Was... That was my first, uh, first pay per view ever I have yeah. ever done. It's funny. I mean, oh, that was my first pay per view, you know, ironically. <laughs> yeah. Right. As you can say yours was bad, but I think we both know that mine has got it beat. Okay. Oh, what was yours? So, the first match I ever saw was The Undertaker against Kamala in a cast. Oh, uh, yeah. That was okay. pretty bad. That um, was pretty bad. My, I mean, my first... Grizzling shit match. doesn't even come close to it, does it? Grizzling shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, my first match, um, it kind of traumatised me because I, I was kind of... I didn't really have any introduction to wrestling at that point it was uh it was un no it was uh mankind versus the rock the i quit match at rumble 99 oh, oh wow that was a good i'd one. had this was, that, this was my first introduction to wrestling and i was like what the hell did i just, I just watch someone get their brains bashed in so, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah that's intense that's a good one yeah never forgot that never yeah. Forgot yeah. no doubt no you? doubt <laughs> So in um, 92, you started training at the Heart Dungeon, if I'm correct yep. there, yep. Um, yep. which at the time was being run by Keith. Yes. Um, yep. What was your experience like there? Um, it was intense, man. It was a really intense, uh, I mean, the, the you know, the, the workouts they put you through, uh, even before you'd get in the ring, you know. I mean, they worked you out really hard. They made you, uh, you know, jog a couple miles every day, uh, 500 squats before you even got in the ring, all kinds of drills, um, you know, and I didn't understand why they did it. Um, but I then came to understand, uh, you know, in the beginning of the camp, 12 people started and, uh, at the end, only two finished. It was myself and another guy from Canada. And, um, 
you know, the point was back then they were really, um, they wanted to see if you really had what it took, if you had the heart for it, uh, if you were serious about it. Cause you know, still there was a bit of kayfabe in those days. Um, you know, and, uh, they didn't just smarten anybody up at that point yet. So they really wanted to, uh, to challenge you, you know, and to see, uh, are you a quitter? Are you gonna, you know, if, if we get, you know, let you go on into the wrestling world, are you going to represent the hearts, uh, the way we want to be represented, you know? And, yeah. uh, so that's that's kind of how it was. Yeah, you hear stories about like how how grueling like the heart dungeon was as to say. Yeah, like if, if the walls could talk, they'd scream. Yeah, yeah, like is it is it as bad as they make it out to be? Um, not when I went there. It was I mean it was still pretty rough, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't uh it wasn't like that anymore. Um it was it was starting to make a change. Um Lance Storm and Chris Jericho went through the camp uh the year before me. Um, and they, they'd gotten the same kind of, uh, it was, it already had moved on from the dungeon and stuff like that. So, cause you know, Stu was getting older, so yeah, it was yeah. more like, you know, the brothers took over. And then when the brothers took over, they started to kind of let the younger guys help do the training and the hearts really just kind of oversaw the, the operation. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was different, but still, uh, you know, probably some of the best pro wrestling training out there, you know, they, they yeah. put out a lot of greats. I mean, just touching what you said there, obviously, Jericho and your future tag partner, Lance Storm. Yes. Uh, did yeah. a lot of your training with you, from what we gather. Yep. As you mentioned, yep. because obviously they graduated the year before you. Was it easier having them with you to help with your training? Or was it the case of, you know, these were just two first-year guys and it didn't really mean too much? Um, well, Jericho, Jericho wasn't around all that much. Um, but, you know... It was still um, it was still great because I think Lance, you know, just was great at what he did, just great at what he did, you know, and uh, very patient. So that, that had a lot to do with it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Lance Storm uh, was actually kept on as one of the sort of trainers, wasn't he? If I yes. Reading, I remember what I've read in Jericho's first book. He said that he would sort of tag along and just try and help out, try and keep himself in the loop. Yeah. Uh, whilst uh, Lance was doing what he was doing. So, yeah. Um, and the fact that obviously Lance has gone on to run a very successful school. Absolutely. Uh, I believe yeah. as a producer with WWE now. Right. I mean, right. he's gone yeah. on to have an incredibly good career and he's not even had to necessarily do it all in the ring, which is, I'd imagine, quite rare, really. Well, I mean, Lance was just very good, um, very patient. Um, and very kind, you know what I mean? He just had a very special way of going about it. He never got frustrated. He'd never yell at you. Um, and sometimes, you know, you, you, I'd rather have somebody like that that's willing to take the time and doesn't, you know, isn't always yelling at you because that may work for some people. But uh, anyways, uh, I just prefer the way he trained and he explained things uh, very well. And, you know, it was just, uh, it ended up being great for me. Amazing. Yeah, you can sort absolutely. of see as well, like in, with his in-ring work as well, that he is very calm and patient. Like, you yeah. get people who blow up very easily, like Eddie Guerrero, but then you've just got Lance Storm that's just as cool, like, as cool as a cucumber all the way through. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, that's got to be sort of reassuring, just like when you're in the ring with him. Yeah, and, and it also, uh, it teaches you how to be that way as well. I was the opposite. I would get, because uh, I, I wanted to be like Sean really bad, I remember yeah. a bunch of times, like, you know, I remember Tajiri. I was wrestling Tajiri in 19, no, 2000. I was defending the heavyweight title. 
and uh, Tajiri messed up a spot and I threw a fit in the ring. And, you know, I came back throwing chairs, telling Heyman to go fuck himself, you know, because I wanted to be like Sean, you know, but uh, it didn't work out for me. I wasn't that guy. I couldn't be mean. <laughs> but I tried. I tried. I certainly tried. Certainly worth a go. Yeah. Oh, How did Heyman react to that? Oh, he, dude, he was kissing my ass, dude. He needed me at that point because everybody was, you know, jumping ship. So I, I was loyal to Paul. So Paul knew he had to... Uh, he had to kiss my ass whether he liked it or not. You know, <laughs> hey, you got it. You got it. When you get that, when you get that, when you're able to do that, take advantage of it because you never, you probably won't get it again. And that's yeah. happened to me on the opposite end of the spectrum where I'm always worried about a job or kissing everyone else's ass. So it was nice to have a little bit of a reassurance at one point in my career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. The other way around. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm quite possibly one of the best wrestling minds there is as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Certainly the greatest salesman that ever lived, let's put it well, that yeah. way. <laughs> so stand to a desert, that guy. Yeah, so shit to a farmer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if uh, our research is correct, um, you worked uh, unpaid work on the Alberta circuit for a while uh, before mm-hmm. heading to New England. Um, how did that opportunity to go there come about? Well, I really just, uh, you know, I finished wrestling up in Calgary because I wasn't making any money. And when the money ran out, I just came back home and uh, just started to try to find, you know, places to work, small independent shows, nothing, uh, nothing too big. And, uh, you know, that's when kind of I got a little frustrated with the lack of work because there weren't as many indies um, around then as there are today. Um, You know, and there was no social media, no Internet. So you really had to, you know, you had to know somebody. So, uh, you know, one day I just in 93, I just, you know, got crazy one, not crazy, but like said, fuck it. And went to a WWE live event house show and, uh, you know, went backstage and spoke to, uh, some of the agents that were there, Tony Gurria, um, and Rene Goulet and, uh, you know, let them know that I was around and, you know, if they ever needed anybody and stuff like that. And they let me watch the show from backstage. And, uh, you know, as I was leaving, I went to thank them, you know, for being so kind and, you know, they were very cool. Um, and, uh, you know, they said, as a matter of fact, we're going to be needing somebody, uh, several people, as a matter of fact, to, uh, to you know, do jobs uh, and work as enhancement talent uh, for Monday Night Raw, which was just starting up at the time and is only an hour from my house. So, um, you know, it was great, you know, and that's kind of how I got my foot in the door with uh, the WWE. So to sort of like segue on from that, um, you, you got your enhancement talent position for WWE on Raw, and then you sort of ended up in a similar situation in WCW, if I'm correct. And yeah, I did before, a couple of jobs there. Yeah, before going back to WWF full-time, um, where the where the Aldo Montoya came from. Um, I mean, as a wrestler, what were the differences between the two companies? Um, even though I just went to WCW, I only had two matches, and it was just there for one taping of WCW Saturday night, but... Uh, the difference was night and day. I mean, WCW really was uh, very unorganized. You didn't even know really who was in charge. Excuse me, who was paying you? I mean, it was just a clusterfuck. It really was unorganized. So, um, you know, it was just quick money and not even quick money. I mean, I, I still lived at home. It wasn't even about the money. It was just trying to get experience, trying to get seen, um, you know. But uh, it was, yeah, it was just not for me. You know, WWE, uh, you know, you start to get relationships over there and uh, they run a very tight ship. And to this day, I mean, just uh, the other day, uh, they uh, 
inducted a gentleman by the name of Rich Herring, who had yeah. been with the company since Vince Sr. And I worked with Rich for, I don't know how many years, back when I first started there. So, I mean, they really, the people there care about the company. I mean, it is something where it's not unlike, you, you know, I just recently moved and they were sending my royalty checks to my, my old house. And uh, I got wind of it and I called the office and the still same guys are there from payroll. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful business. It's a wonderful company to work for. So it's just like night and day, you know, I, I wish I still worked there in some capacity because they really are a, a first rate organization. So yeah, it was no, no match uh, WCW and WWE as far as, uh, you know, structure and yeah. stuff like that. It's refreshing to hear that because so many people are like bad mouth WWE. And, yeah. you know, to, to a certain extent, they, they tend to bring it on themselves a little bit. But it yeah. is refreshing to hear someone say, you know what, actually, they're a really great company to work for because a lot, uh, of, a lot yeah. of former talent were just bad mouth. Well, I mean, I, I had a very uh, good relationship, unique relationship. I mean, they, they were always very good to me since when I was, I mean, I started there when I was 20 years old, um, got signed shortly thereafter. And I mean, they were just, I mean, I was there before they went corporate. So, yeah. I mean, there were people there that, you know, not just, and, and even Vince personally, I got to, to, you know, when I wanted to talk some, you know, about something with Vince in those days, I understand things are a bit different now, but uh, I could go to see Vince in his office. I'd go to Stanford, you know, the office was 45 minutes from my home. I'd book a meeting with Vince and go discuss my concerns with him, you know, and one, one day my father had a heart attack and uh, I came off the road and I, I got to my house and, you know, I was still living with my mom. Uh, I was 21, 22. And anyways, my mom uh, wakes me up. I just landed trying to get some sleep to see what was going on. And my mom comes up to me, wakes me up. She goes, it's Vince. And I'm like, Vince who? It's Vince. And Vince called me on a Sunday morning to see if everything was okay, if I needed anything. And just to kind of give me a, you know, a little, you know, reassurance that everything's going to be okay. And it was like amazing. You know, and uh, so I've always had, I mean, regardless of being let go and business is business, I've always had a, a wonderful uh, relationship and still felt very at home there. You know, good company, good company. Well, yeah, no, I would just say um, you should do the uh, landstorm tactic. If I can be serious for a minute. You can go hang out like outside the uh, performance center, just like training all the newbies that come in on slide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, slide that contract. <laughs> if, if I lived in Florida, things would be a bit different, but yeah. uh, I have, I have my son just turned 21 and he's a, a junior at university and he's doing very well. And, you know, we have roots here in Connecticut yeah. and I, you know, maybe someday, you know, I'm only yeah. 47. So, who knows? Yeah, plenty still of time. Plenty still time. time. Well, not plenty of time, but sometime. <laughs> <laughs> sometime. So am I correct in thinking that with the Aldo Montoya gimmick that they originally wanted you to be a soccer player? They did, yeah. No. Okay. So how, how did you feel about that? You know, what were your thoughts on uh, I mean, I wasn't going to say anything. Uh, I didn't have to, though. They they rethought that very quickly. Um, but I, I certainly was not a fan of, of that. I, I was like, really, guys? But what are you going to say? You know, I was just happy to be there. Uh, yeah. You know, I'd never been on television. I still uh, had barely had 50 matches under my belt. If you really think about it, there was no NXT. Um, yeah, you know, back then you, you just, uh, you know, you learned on the road. And that's what they had done. Um, for a good while before I got Aldo, they put me on the road for a while and, uh, you know, working opening matches uh, and stuff like that, you know, uh, you know, against the Brooklyn yeah. Brawler and stuff like yeah. that. 
So you were essentially still like a rookie when you were signed up then, really? Oh, very much, yeah. Very yeah. much. We said there were like no OVW, no FCW, no NXT. Yeah, no, you learned on the road that you were stuck in the middle of the shit and you had to learn. <laughs> but that's how you really, but the, you know, in, in looking at it, that's really the, you know, that's the best way to learn. Um, you know, um, I, I was comfortable. I was more comfortable in the WWE ring than anywhere else. Cause that's really where I started everything uh, in yeah. a way. So, um, you know, and that's, I, I guess that's the best way to do it. Cause you're also in there with great wrestlers. I remember wrestling Bob Backlund, you know, all over the country. I mean, oh, that's Bob Backlund, you know, that's a, big uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot of, a lot of people like that. I worked with Kevin Nash when he first came in to do diesel on the road, we were doing just small high schools and stuff like that in front of 600, 700 people. But if you mess up, who cares? You know what I mean? It's not like, uh, so it was really, uh, it was fun, man. It was fun. I was learning so much. I was uh, just really becoming a pro's pro. And uh, it, it was, it was nice. I wish that system was still in place today because, um, you know, people go to NXT and uh, wonderful things I hear about NXT and I love the product from what I see of it. Um, but those guys are as good as they're going to get. Uh, and the, the thing I fear down there is they're working these kids to the point where, when they finally, if they ever get called up to the main roster, their bodies are going to be shot. I mean, how mm -hmm. much do you, how much NXT do you need before you uh, come up? You know, so uh, I, I much rather liked it the way it was where you just, you know, you go on the road, learn. I mean, when Batista, Randy Orton and Shelton Benjamin both got their spots, they worked with me for a whole, a whole month or two on the road, opening up the shows and, uh, you know, then eventually doing their matches on TV. I remember I was Batista's first match. Um, I got Randy Orton right out of OB OVW for a couple of months on the road. And, um, you know, to me, I always thought that was the best way to, to learn because not only were they really good as just rookies, but they put them with someone like myself on the road, which could help them. You know what I mean? I, it's like the yeah. roles were reversed then yeah. where I was, like a you know, helping right you know and helping those guys out so yeah it was a nice little system yeah i was going to ask this earlier how did um you get it changed from the, the whole soccer player thing to the the man of war character? it just happened yeah it just it just happened just one day they just showed me another picture another drawing and that was it you know really not much to it yeah i would say i read, I read somewhere um, quite a while back um, that you were very unhappy with the soccer player style gimmick because you're not a fan of soccer yourself. And Dude, that's not which, true. I, I, somebody else said that to me. <laughs> no, I played soccer in high school. Um, and my father was the coach. My dad played, uh, you know, uh, soccer in Portugal because uh, oh, my wow. family's an immigrant. Yeah. yeah so uh, I'm from a Portuguese immigrant family and a soccer family. So it's kind of funny that, uh, no, that wasn't the case at all. But I didn't think, I didn't think the gimmick was going to be any good, but I certainly didn't complain about it. I, I was in no place to complain about anything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they could have dressed me up as anything. I would have done it, you know. <laughs> you a Porto fan? I'm sorry? A Porto fan? No, no. Uh, if team? anything, uh, Benfica. If anything, that's my Benfica. father's club. That's my oh, father's okay. club, not mine. But it's 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 weird to hear an American refer to them as a club and not a team. Yeah. Well, that's what it's supposed to be. See, I'm I'm worldly. I'm I, you know I'm not some dumb yank. Come on, guys. <laughs> I know a little bit about a little. <laughs> <laughs> so um, after the Montoya run, you left WWF and you uh, you found yourself a new home in ECW after your little stint in USWA. Um, how did you end up in ECW? 
Um, basically, uh, the USWA was no good. And uh, Candido, Paul Heyman, uh, Sandman, Sabu, and Van Dam uh, were down there doing that angle with Jerry Lawler. And uh, the last day of the tour, Chris had said he was kind of high up in ECW at the time. Candido said, you really should come over here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great place to work. We're growing. We're, we're on pay-per-view. We're going to be on pay-per-view. And, uh, you know, the money was good, he said. So it didn't take much talking. Uh, Heyman went to Vince because I was still under contract. And uh, Vince handed over the contract over to Paul. And then we renegotiated and uh, signed a, quite a nice deal with ECW. You know, it was really kind of easy. Very cool. When you started with ECW, you had a, a bit of an unbeaten streak for a while, didn't you? Um, yep, absolutely. And, and starting with a, a pretty huge win over Great Sasuke, really. I mean, yeah, as debuts go, that's that's pretty huge. Yeah, that's a I huge mean, game. Wrestling yeah. a legend like Sasuke right out of the bat, that must have been... Oh, I mean, I, I think I, I personally would have been very starstruck. What was it like for you? I didn't. I was so in my WWE bubble still at the time. I had no idea who the great Sasuke was. Right. Okay. I, I really didn't. I really, truly didn't. Not to be, uh, you know, I, I later come to find out, obviously a legend. But at the time, I, I really had no idea, which I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, because I, I may yeah. I may have uh, gone into it a little differently, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I know he was super cool, and uh, you know I was of course I'm I'm a very respectful person to anyone, so uh, yeah, we we got along well and we worked well, and you know I understood afterwards that it was a big deal, you know, so uh, yeah, yeah, I was I was very lucky. Paul had a lot of good plans for me because, well, I think you know I was I came out of the WWE, veteran and at television live television. Uh, pay-per-views where a lot of his guys were not uh, they weren't used to being on television they weren't used to doing live television or pay-per-views and uh, having some experience um, would help um, you know what I mean and that with the with the character and you know just kind of help bring some professionalism to you know an ECW crew that was still kind of green and learning at the time I mean they did have guys like Shane Douglas and Bam Bam Bigelow and so on but still they were trying to get more TV ready talent, uh, yeah. which, you know, it was like a, a half and half. Some guys weren't ready for TV. If you remember the early days of ECW, you know, oh, yes. <laughs> so, you know, that's what Paul was trying to kind of do. I think, uh, at that time. What was it, uh, sort of like, um, you know, ECW as a company to work for? Oh, it was great, man. It was, it was, you know, you hear a lot of stories, but a lot of them are just plain false. Um, I was making more money in ECW than I was in the WWE. A lot of people don't know that, but I was making three grand a week um, wow. in ECW and I would only wrestle Fridays and Saturdays um, where I was I mean, on the road. That's that's not a bad yeah. screw at all, that, is it? Really? No, no, it was, <laughs> not at all. And I was home and I was home a lot of the time, you know, um, cause I live in the area and yeah. some of the, some of the drives were three, four hours, but still you get to sleep in your own bed. Um, and, and there were tours I'd do of Germany, uh, you know, Europe, England, the UK, um, where I'd be on the road 30, 30 straight days. And, uh, I just got married and, you know, being home, uh, you know, every night was great yeah, you know, sounds, and making, sounds, and sounds. making better money too. Cause I didn't, yeah. I was making, you know, considerably less. Well, I mean, like $50,000 less in WWE because money wasn't that great in WWE, especially for a yeah. mid-card act, you know? So were like the ECW years, like your prime, like, earning years, were they all? No, uh, when I went back to WWE, 
Right. Okay. Was, oh, was the, yeah. The revival. Yeah. 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 That's that. Those were, you know, I, I was making really good money, <laughs> pretty good money. So just, just out of curiosity, I always wonder what, what was it like sort of wrestling at the, uh, the ECW arena? It was great. It was a lot of fun, man. Um, there were, the fans were just really intense. Um, s- small place, you know, maybe 1500 fans, but uh, just really loud. And the fans were, uh, were part of the show. You know, they, they understood that they were as, as part of the, sh- as much part of the show as the wrestlers. So they really loved it. They came, they came like ready to play, you know, almost like yeah. we did. So yeah. uh, having them be so much fun and, you know, really enjoying it with us uh, made it for a great uh, atmosphere, you know? You can no, tell though, like, um, yeah, you can tell with the, um, the, the crowd that it was like another member of the roster. Yeah, yeah. yeah same guy sitting on the front row. The yeah. same group of people that managed to get on the I, front row every single time. I, I wish. See, I wish more fans would be like that. Yeah. Um, because really, you can't make fans do anything. But if if fans were, you know, the more inclusive fans are, I think you know, the more special anything becomes. And uh, if, if ECW is not a good example of it, I don't know what is. I just yeah. wish more fans would take ownership of a local promotion, mm-hmm. um, make it their own, you know, because fans yeah, yeah. are really what it's about. Without the fans, um, there's, you know, the wrestling, the wrestling sucks, you know. Yeah, yeah fans, fans make a huge, a huge deal or a huge difference, I should say. And, uh, you know, I, I just wish fans would take their role a little more, you know, just have fun with it, you know, and really, if you're going to support it, support it. You know, and just yeah. be part of it. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. we're going to see a very different uh, fan experience once everything opens up again because of yeah. you know. Yeah, I certainly hope so. It. I certainly hope so. I really do. I can't wait. I mean, I have always said myself, like if I could have been in any crowd in any venue, it would have been an ECW crowd in the Hammerstein yeah. Ballroom. Absolutely, and that's yeah. where I would have been. And that the ECW arena. Yeah. yeah, that's that's just a night you would never forget. I would yeah. love to have been at one of the old bring your own weapons nights. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> they were they, they, the Hammerstein's a great example. I mean, that's that's a big building. It's about thirty five hundred fans, and it's just it's just built for pro wrestling, and it's uh, yeah. so yeah. so magical in there. You know, it's Absolutely. a really good looking place for as well. I mean, it, yeah. it, it oozes importance of the ballroom, doesn't it? It's, yeah, well, it's an old theater. It goes back. Yeah. It's, it's it's almost you know it's over a hundred plus years old. Oh, wow. So it has so much history and uh, so many legendary musicians have played there. I mean, you name them, uh, you know, because it's right in the middle of Manhattan, you know, maybe a yeah. couple of blocks from Madison Square Garden. And uh, they've done award shows there. Uh, I mean, like major award shows. It's just like one of those buildings that has had, had, had everybody, you know, you name them. They played there. So, yeah, it's a great place. So, I mean, ECW was, of course, run by, you know, the advocate, as he's known these days, the one and only Paul. A little known guy, barely yeah. known. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some little Jewish dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody's heard of him. What was it like? You know, what was he like as a boss? Um, do you have any stories you, of him that you can that you can share with us? Nothing, I mean, nothing really out of the ordinary. He was just he was just a very. I mean, he was. He was a great communicator, yeah. uh, great motivator. Not, I mean, he was a good booker, but that wasn't his strong suit. His strongest suit was taking someone and making them believe in themselves. Like you'd see something in you and he would just, he would talk to you and he would, 
just like almost like a coach, uh, you know, would just hype you up and make you believe. Eyes on me, Ryland. Hit dingers. Disgrace the pitcher's family. Make the other families, other players cry and stomp their butts into the ground. Does everyone understand that? Because I think a lot of times he was really dealing with maybe not the greatest rosters, but he had to, you know, for financial reasons, especially during the Monday Night Wars, he had to really do with what he had. And uh, he was just great at making you believe in yourself, like you could be the, the guy. And uh, he, he had that conversation with me several times and he had me believing that I could be a top guy. And I think he did that for a lot of people who maybe didn't feel that they could. You know, he did that with Dreamer, Sandman. I mean, you know, Van Damme. Uh, he was just really, really good at making you believe in you and then you can then kind of getting out of your way and letting you go for it. Uh, he was yeah. very, very, very good at letting you develop on your own, you know, I mean, of course, with guidance and, you know, direction, but it was amazing how much leeway we had to kind of do, uh, you know, what we felt was good for us and yeah. at least in the ring, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the biggest example that I can remember is, is the whole public enemy because like, yeah, by, by their own admission and, and from what Heyman said in the, in the books, they weren't great wrestlers, but he accentuated their positives, hid the weaknesses. Yeah. yeah. They looked like a million bucks. I mean, they looked like a genuine, yeah. incredible threat to just about anyone they were up against. Yeah. And that's what he did. And that's what we all learned to do. Um, and that's really the, uh, that's the secret in pro wrestling. A lot of people don't see it or understand it, but um, you don't have to do a hell of a lot in wrestling. You, you, you know, I have four or five moves that I do well. I take good bumps and uh, there's a lot of stuff I don't do well. Just yeah. hide your, hide your, you know, accentuate your strengths, hide your weaknesses. And uh, the rest is easy. I mean, wrestling is not rocket science. And I think a lot of times the young men and women there today are just making it a lot more difficult than it has to be. Um, but I mean, you controversially know. like that statement for you that you've just said, like sums the rock up for me, like hands down sums him up. Like he's a fantastic entertainer. But in the ring, he's he's not the best. No, no, nope. But Come he doesn't on. need to be because he's so over. And exactly. Well, the thing exactly. is, but the thing is too, if you look at a Ric Flair or, or guys that could go, you have to be willing to dance with the other yeah. guy. And mm -hmm. like I said, it doesn't to be to have great matches. You don't have to have a great move set. Exactly. Although I mean, in wrestling, it's all evolving now. But still, I mean, I, I've had great matches with Jerry Lynn, and you could count the moves that I do. A lot of times I'm just there to catch him or to, you know, take bumps for him and, and just yeah. flow. It, a lot of it's the flow of it. And, you know, we forget sometimes this is supposed to be a, a fight or a simulated yeah. <laughs> battle. And yeah. instead we've made it into a choreography line dance, yeah. <laughs> you know, and instead of just uh, going out there and just, you know, flare steamboat, a lot of it was just, chops back and forth and you know ups and downs of, uh, in you know in a certain pace of the match you know and and excitement and selling what's you yeah. know what is what is selling these days you know i don't think anybody sells anymore um but really it takes a lot out of it you know it takes a lot out of it because if you're going to do a hundred things to me and i'm not going to sell any of them it's going to a make your move looks like sh look like shit because your yeah. move you just did it and it doesn't hurt me because i'm up yeah. in five seconds you know, yeah, and there's very few, just, there's very few protected finishes these days. Yeah, very few, yeah. and it's a shame. You know, I, I, think, I, think, I think the only like, one that springs to mind at the minute for me would have to be one-winged angel. Three yeah. D. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's not about yeah. these days anymore, is it? The three no, days. Yeah, yeah. In, well, in, I mean, in, in modern era wrestling, the the one winged angel is the only one that pops in, pops into my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you look at you look at Brock at Mania. It's literally just a German suplex and about four hundred F fives. A couple of belly to bellies, maybe <laughs> yeah. if we're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if he's feeling fruity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So um, you're able to win the uh, ECW World Tag Team Championships twice for Lance Storm. If I can be serious for a minute. As part of the uh, Impact players, um, yes. first in January 2000 and then again in March. Um, I know you sort of talked about Lance already, but, you know, specifically sort of tagging with Lance. What, what was that like? I was. It was really fun because, uh, you know, A, we've known each other for a long time prior to that. And I think the dynamic was cool because um, everything Lance was, I wasn't. And everything he wasn't, I was. Like, I wore jean shorts, the T-shirt. I had the attitude, you know, the brawling a little bit more so. Lance was more of the technical guy uh, with, the, with the traditional tights and uh, kind of a stern, you know, if I could be serious for a minute, attitude. And I was <laughs> yeah. the opposite, you know. And, uh, but it meshed well together. Um, you know what I mean? And then towards the end of the impact players, you know, we were doing the pose where, you know, I was holding the kendo stick and he was doing the, the Sean flexing and, and we just kind of started to feed off of one another, but uh, it was very uh, organic um, actually. And it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun because I mean, we knew each other so well. It, you could tell yeah. watching it like, that it was organic and you were both enjoying it. You can clearly see yeah. it in your performances. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, totally. I mean, to be fair with you, like when I was younger, I absolutely fucking hated Landstorm with a passion. Oh, I <laughs> love Landstorm. It wasn't right, until right. I got older and I started to understand wrestling a little bit more. Right, that right, I was right. like, this, this dude is fucking brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, every time he grabbed that mic and he's like, if I could be serious for a minute. I'm... If I can be serious for a minute. I'm just like, oh, shut the fuck up. Oh, but, yeah. but that's yeah. what you want to be. Now, when I watch it, it just makes me chuckle. Like, I'm literally going back right. through the attitude here at the minute and watching it all. I've just got to, um, just got to the evasion angle, actually. And oh, right he's, he's just so funny. Like, yeah. on the mic, it, like, he's, he's so underrated, bless him. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. He really is. He used to get a bit of flack for, for, for that. But um, in the waning days of WCW, he had his uh, his Team Canada um, stable. Yeah. Um, and um, he used to get everyone to try and stand up while he played the Canadian anthem. Yeah, and yeah. food the shit out of him. I just thought yeah. it was hilarious. Yeah, he, he used to get it. a lot of heat. Yeah, he, got yeah. Of heat. he yeah. was very good. He was very good at getting heat. Was lost off. He was excellent. Yeah, he, certainly, he certainly was. He certainly was. Now, I love his, his, his finishing move as well. Um, was when he came to WWF, uh, um, they started calling it the single leg crab. But in WCW, yes. it was the maple leaf. I don't know why they yep. didn't carry on the name the maple mm. leaf. But I thought it was an awesome move. So um, I'm going to enjoy this. This is a, a first for real wrestling. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to milk this as much as I can. Uh, I'm sure you recognise that little beauty just there. I do. Yes. <laughs> so I your do. crowning achievement came in April of 2000 when you defeated Tommy Dreamer for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Given that uh, Tommy had only won the title a few minutes before the same night, and then it led to you coming out and I believe essentially ending the Impact players uh, by challenging Dreamer there and then. I mean, how how did you get to that moment? What led to that sort of creative decision? I suppose to I I don't know um, because <laughs> I was just. 
No, I really don't. I don't know how it happened. I was told I wasn't on the sheet. Um, I thought I wasn't working that night and we were the tag team champions at the time. Um, so I was like, okay, well, we got a night off, whatever. And uh, Paul told me only an hour and a half, two hours prior. I think we were at intermission when I found out, told me to get dressed. Uh, so he didn't tell me till almost right beforehand, you know, to keep it kind of quiet. So uh, yeah, I just I found surprised. out a couple hours ago. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. That's how we like to play it though. You know, when Sandman made his uh, re-debut after he was in WCW, I was in the ring. Um, the only people that knew Sandman were there were Lance and myself and, uh, and Sandman and Heyman because they had him out in a van uh, and they snuck him into the arena right before the lights went out. Nobody knew, yeah. not even the boys, you know. So he was, uh, Paul was famous for keeping things uh, tight-lid, you know, because it was, it was the internet was starting to become a thing. Yeah. You know, uh, pro wrestling insider and Meltzer had his and, you know, the torch had theirs and stuff. But, uh, you know, he wanted to make sure that nothing leaked out. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what was your reaction when, you know, Paul Heyman comes up to you and says, oh, you know, you're going to be the ECW champion tonight? Oh, uh, man. I, I mean, I couldn't believe it, you know, especially being that we still had the tag titles. And we relin I relinquished them for the team. But, uh, yeah, I just I couldn't believe it, you know. Lance was going to WCW that might've had something to do with it. So why not pull the trigger, you know, at that moment? Cause I knew that that was going to be the plan all along at some point was to have me win the title and uh, have Van Dam chase me. And uh, unfortunately we never got around to it because the company folded, uh, you know, oh, in February. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we purposely never touched yeah. any CW uh, because we were going to wait for the big match. And uh, unfortunately yeah. it never happened. You know, I mean, I, like back in the day, I was such a Rob Van Dam mark. Yeah, I was yeah. so big on Rob Van Dam. Like, but I, I didn't, I didn't discover ECW until later on, like until after the invasion angle, and I went back. Oh, and okay. Found and the watched tapes it. and stuff. Oh, I yeah, see. yeah. Okay. I was yeah. very much a tape swapper. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's how that's how I discovered it, and uh, okay, watching like Van Dam back then, like. Yeah, he was awesome. He, he, he was, was like off the chair. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, credit to yourself as well. Like you. For me, you did your best stuff in ECW. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And I appreciate that. I, I, I'm just a little bit gutted we never got to see uh, just Incredible versus Van Damme. I know. Yeah. I know. It's one of those missed opportunities, yeah. you know. ECW was like the one thing I watched growing up. We didn't really have access to cable, but one thing I could right. was was ECW. Uh, so I, I sort of grew up on that in the Attitude Era. And a nice. lot of what I watched was that. And and even just a few days ago, going back and re-watching that, that match where you just came out and just beat the shit out of Tommy for like 10 minutes. It was, yeah. it brought me right back to being about 12 years old and just like living the dream in front of the TV. Yeah. Those are good times, man. Special times that unfortunately will never be replicated uh, because it was way. just, it, it, it was, it was, uh, it, it was, it was special. Um, especially then because we were going up against the WWE, which was a corporate monster, WCW, yeah. which was a corporate monster, and we were everything that they weren't. Um, the guy that could yeah. as well. He's yeah, like and the fans, yeah. the fans really appreciated it because it was all about just wrestling um, and uh, trying to be different. And, you know, yeah. uh, that's why Vince's ECW uh, didn't work was because uh, even though at first, you know, I, I, I ended up doing CM Punk's debut, yeah. on that show and uh i wrestled a couple of other good guys and good matches and stuff 
I was part of the original one night stand where I came Jericho during the Lance Storm match and we reunited there briefly. But the fans, you know, when you're part of the machine, you can't be a rebel, yeah. you know, and that's what hurt it from the beginning. And then, of course, WWE can't help themselves with booking all kinds of crap for ECW. So it just, you know, it just yeah. wouldn't work. It couldn't work, I mean, you know. It was always doomed from the start in many ways, but I think the real death now was when Vince won the ECW title. For me, that was when I yeah. switched off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and the only reason they even went with ECW again was they did one night stand just as a one-off. That was legitimately meant yeah. to be a one-off, but the yeah. numbers were so great. Uh, it was like the highest paper, highest rated pay-per-view as far as buys, besides like Mania and Rumble yeah. that year. Um, business was great. The buzz was fantastic. And Vince saw money. So then he was like, well, fuck it. We're doing this. Not fully understanding really what the fans wanted. He thought he could somehow, you know, manipulate them. Into on the name, right. And then, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, from what I heard, it was, uh, I don't know how true this is. Cause you know, once again, internet reading, but right, right. <laughs> um, from what I heard, it was Van Damme that pitched it to uh, Vince. And oh really? Vin, yeah, from what I heard, it was it was Rob that pitched it to Vince, and he kept pecking at him and going at him and going at him, and Vince was just like, "Yeah, fuck it, just to shut him up." Yeah, well, <laughs> but, it could be. That could be. I don't know. I don't know how true. true that is. I don't know how true that is, but might I be mean, true. But it led it led to such an amazing iconic yeah. moment when yeah. Paul Heyman comes out and like yeah. five minutes just this ain't Monday night, bro. This ain't SmackDown. Like looking up at JBL and like the only reason you were the champ for 10 months is because Triple H Triple H didn't want to work What a moment. So um, your reign as ECW champion lasted around five months, if I remember correctly. And uh, what was what was the experience like of being a world champion? I mean, does it differ from other title reigns? Um, yeah, it did. It did because... Um, you know, I was main eventing the shows. I was closing out every pay-per-view. And, um, you know, in wrestling, you're not really winning anything. You know, it's not real. I always believe, you know, I was always smart enough to not get caught in that. But yeah. what it does mean is that you're trusted. You are yes. considered one of the top wrestlers, performers in that company. And, you know, the bosses are relying on you to, you know, to put on these matches and to carry the, those shows uh, and to close them, which is a, a big undertaking, especially in ECW where, you know, you'll see everything, tables, ladders, chairs, barbed wire, blood, and then I'm closing the night with a wrestling yeah. match versus Jerry yeah. Lynn. Um, it's quite, uh, it's quite, you know, it's quite the task, but, uh, you know, that, that was special that he trusted me that much to, to put the title on me, period, because I never thought I would have become a world champion, you know? So I mean, it's yeah, testament it was, it to your body cool. of work, really. It, it is, it is, and I'm very proud of that. I do, I'm yeah. extremely I would proud be too. of it. You should yeah. be. Yeah, Thank, absolutely. You. Thank you. Um, so you wrestled in the final match of ECW in what was the promotion's first and only Yeah, I did. I certainly did, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what were your feelings going into that match? Did you know it was going to be the last show? Uh, we all did. We all did. We all did, yeah. Even though it wasn't official, uh, we had nothing else booked. Um, nothing else was going on and it ended up being the last show. And I was lucky enough or smart enough, I should say, to not believe Paul's bullshit. And, uh, I emailed Jim Ross that week and, uh, got myself a contract, you know, a three-year deal with the WWE to go team with X-Pac, you know? I think that's the first time I've ever heard an ECW original turn around and say, I didn't believe Paul's bullshit. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that's got um, that, That's, that's the thumbnail right there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it just must have been a very surreal time to to know that you know that was the final match. Yeah, it was, and it, it was bitter. It was bittersweet because. Like I said, I don't need to be rich. I just need to make a living, a good living. Yeah. And I was. Um, I was happy with my, with where I was going, where the company was going. Because towards the end, you know, people may think that ECW was, you know, doing bad business. We were actually, uh, Paul has said this in the Steve Austin podcast, mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's factual. Um, the year 2000, uh, the final year when ECW closed, was the most profitable year. We were yeah. selling out buildings everywhere. Um, and the last two shows at the Hammerstein were both sold, uh, big sellout shows. It was just the bad business that he had done previously. Yeah. All kind of bad, year after year, kind of, uh, you know, he couldn't, you know, this was stuff that he did in 96 and shit that kind of all just caught up to him and he couldn't, yeah. uh, couldn't do it anymore, you know. You mentioned uh, when you sort of left ECW and went to WWF um, as part of the uh, X Factor with um, X-Pac and Albert um, bringing with you the, the just incredible gimmick. So um, how did that sort of come about, you know, and what was it like teaming with them both? And um, They just, uh, the WWE came up with that. Um, I, from what I understand, I was just, I showed up to, uh, to Raw and I was told, this is uh, what you're doing. You're going to, you know, Chris Jericho is going to be wrestling X-Pac and you're just going to come down and hit Jericho with the chair. And uh, you're going to be a tag team. That's that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, I, I not like they, WWE is weird. And, well, not weird, but they don't really tell you what's going on very much. They just kind of uh, give you, this is what you're doing tonight. And you may or may not be told like uh, some future stuff down the road. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just very much uh, a day-to-day -day thing where you show up and you don't know what you're doing. You know, a lot of times uh, it's a, it's a week by week thing, but which is cool. I mean, I was very happy to work with uh, Sean Waltman and uh, Albert. I mean, it was, uh, you know, we were supposed to go on and uh, win the tag team belt at one point, but then the invasion happened, uh, yeah. the buyout of WCW. Uh, yeah. And then of course I went with the Alliance because of ECW yeah. and Pac, uh, you know, um, he was supposed to go with the WWE side, but I think he ended up taking till he took some time off. I think yeah. he was hurt. Uh, so, uh, you know, th that's what happened. So unfortunately we never, yeah, yeah, yeah. We never got to, uh, to go forward with the, with the X factor. Cause we, we were, we were a pretty decent tag team, you know, yeah. uh, as I heels, mean, we could have done something. When the X Pacs came about, I was kind of glad because X Pac was still riding them DX coattails. Like when right. the X yes. was finally gone and it yep. was something new for him to focus on. And it was no longer green. It was like a pinky purple and yep. it was something new and fresh and, I think he needed that, but unfortunately, obviously, the the neck. It was it was so. kind of he wasn't gonna he wasn't going to be the uh, sidekick anymore. Yeah, kind yeah. of a thing. You yeah. know, he was going to be the main guy. Yeah, and uh, it's too bad he never really got the opportunity to fully, you know, because I would have loved to have carried that on for a year or so. Yeah. But you know, it is what it is. I just remember watching the uh, the it's our time promo. Um, I think it was on SmackDown with the three yes. of you in the ring. I always in, I enjoyed that one. To uh, to segue on from what you were saying about the uh, the invasion angle. I mean, obviously you were a big part of that. Um, what was it like to work through that angle, and what are your thoughts on it? Um, it was okay. Um, you know, it, it ended up being a bit frustrating because you know we were all in these promos with steve austin then it really became the steve austin show yeah and of course steve's the best don't get me wrong i love steve i've done his podcast a couple of times we get along very very well and uh 
but you know, as a performer, it was it was a bit frustrating because here we are, just background to, you know, Steve Austin, and you know, it's like there's a bunch of us here that can do some stuff, and uh, yeah. you know, they never really focused on us. You know, Lance was there, Dreamer was there, myself, uh, a lot of other guys that were quite talented that really didn't get that opportunity. You know, other than Van Dam, who yeah. got a bit of a a bit of a push from there, but that was about it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like I said, I'm going back watching it at the minute, and I'm I'm, I'm at the invasion, and mm. at the minute, to like watching it through older eyes, it's like yeah. it's Project McMahon. That's what it is. To yeah, me. yeah, yeah, absolutely, totally. I agree, hundred percent. And that, that's what it feels yeah. like. There had to be a McMahon involved in every little in movie. everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, yep. it, it kind of took away from what that angle could have been. Yeah, I agree. But, I agree uh, not kind of massively took away from Massive, what that yeah. could have been. Yeah, yeah, big let's time. let's call it for what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, and obviously oh, yeah. The, the odd segments like uh, Sean Stasiak trying to attack the Rock constantly. <laughs> And running into walls and tables and uh, all that kind of yeah. stuff. That was, uh, yeah, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, come 2005 then, as you mentioned, obviously there was the ECW One Night Stand pay-per-view that was so popular, it came back in 2006 and essentially led to the revival of ECW. And as you mentioned as well, you wrestled Punk in his debut match for the WWE. So I'm imagining it wasn't the same feel backstage no. I mentioned earlier. It must have been no. very, very everywhere you look, WWE fingerprints. Yeah, it was. It was very much that, and you know, uh, unfortunately for for something that should have been so big, uh, it really wasn't. And uh, none of us really have fond thoughts of it. You know, it was yeah. just kind of something we did. We got you know a year pay for it. Um, but it, you know, kill, I ended up quitting, uh, I'm after say you didn't uh, stick around very long, did you? No, uh, I didn't get let go. I just stopped showing up. I was frustrated and, uh, you know, I just quit one Monday. I was supposed to make it to TV and, uh, I wasn't making a lot of money. And I remember going to the bank and not having any money to go to the airport. And I'm like, yo, if I'm in the WWE and I don't have money to go to the airport and I'm killing my name, burying my name yeah. to put guys over you know and it's like and the checks aren't coming the way they're supposed to i just said i quit and i just stopped going and then i got my release and that was it yeah there's some shit wrong with that if that's the case yeah Yeah. no they were paying guys they were paying they were purposely paying guys a lot less than what they normally would have paid you know before there were six figure guarantees minimum and now it's like cut in half to 50. and Mm -hmm. you must understand even though fifty thousand dollars seems like a lot it is not when you're on the road spending money because we have to pay for our own food our own hotel and our own rental car Uh, so you know and we're paying our own taxes so at the end of the day i was making less than twenty thousand dollars a year not doing it not doing it you know no i blame you in the slightest it's not worth getting dropped on your head every night for that no and and, you know my my dad was making more money working at a factory yeah, exactly. Seriously, and, you know, so, so killing your name as well that you feel over right, exactly. So, uh, that just wraps it up here for us. Uh, just that was all the go. good stuff, anyways, though. <laughs> I, but my career yeah, since yeah. then has sucked, so don't worry about it. <laughs> so, before we go, where can people find you on socials? <laughs> Absolutely, uh, follow me on Twitter at PJ Polacco and of course, Instagram at PJ Polacco and prowrestlingtees.com backslash just incredible over 20 cool designs check it out and that's it there we go Perfect. all of justin's links will be in the description below thank you very much uh, pj thank for joining you. us it was thank you guys brilliant speaking Amazing. to you 
Thank and, you. And um, we'll see you guys later. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful day. Hello, everyone. Future Ads here. Um, literally sat here editing this podcast, and um, as great as the dude seems, we had a good time. You know, recording with him. You know, chatting about his career. You know, learning about just incredible as a person. Um, however, there was some issues with just incredible post-recording. So, as you're all aware, we are going to for the love of wrestling. This weekend, uh, April 23rd, 24th, and we are doing a raffle for the NHS. So we purchased some um, merch from Justin to add to the raffle. Um, hopefully, you know, we thought, just incredible, no name, get us some more, you know, raffle tickets sold, essentially. Get some more entrance into the raffle to earn money for those that have struggled during COVID, so we hit him up, we paid, well I say we, I mean Paul personally paid him um, for the merch back last year, back in July last year, Um, so we're knocking on to 12 months now and we still haven't had anything from him, we've had um, no correspondence whatsoever, I mean even getting him to record this podcast was a bit difficult, Um, we had literally three attempts at recording it and every time we came to record something was wrong his kid was in the hospital or something like that now I'm not that's not to say that that didn't happen if it did you know power to him for being a parent and you know dealing with his family problems as we all would but when it comes to like you know ripping people off out of money for merch and stuff like that that's not cool and I mean he can deny it all he wants. We've got proof, you know, we've got messages that we sent saying, you know, we've paid for it, where's the merch? There was also some tweets that he put up stating that, you know, people complaining about not receiving merchandise, books and stuff, and, you know, he's, he's only sending it out to keep marks off his back and stuff like that, to shut us up and stuff. So it's clearly happened to multiple people, not just us, people that bought his books, his Aldo Montoya masks, etc. I mean, if you're going to do fucking merch, man, then fucking send your merch out. It's that simple. And, you know, us guys here at Real Wrestling, we've never been ones to pull us punches. We've never really been ones to keep his mouth shut when it comes to things like this. And to be fair, PJ, yeah, you ripped us the fuck off, dude. And that is a total dick move. Especially after we fucking paid you as well to appear on the podcast. So, that's not how business works, mate. I mean, imagine us not sending out our merch or orders that customers have made with us. Like, what kind of fucking business model is that, dude? Come on. You guys are going to watch this. You guys are going to, you know, decide what you want to do. You know, if there's any podcasts out there, book him at your own risk. Because he may not even fucking turn up at this point. Merchandise-wise, like I said, we've been waiting nearly 12 months. We don't expect to see you back. That's fucking money down the river. You know, dude must need fucking double shot of Horlicks at night to sleep. That's all I'm going to say. But yeah, just to keep it real with you all, he ripped us fucking off. We've debated whether or not to put this podcast out, but obviously because he's a name that people know, we have to. But, you know, just know that this piece of shit stole from us. And not only that, it was for charity as well. So, yeah. Catch you in a bit.